pointing the way towards freedom in an unfree world. This is The Liberty Effect with Ammon Bundy. Welcome to The Liberty Effect. Uh, I'm your host, Ammon Bundy. I'm grateful to be here with you. Um, We are, uh, I think, uh, at uh, some crossroads here, and I would like to talk about it. I, uh, I've been doing a little bit of, well, actually quite a bit of, uh, you know, research and study, and it's always interesting to sit back and, and watch uh, people, uh, watch the society, you know. Um, and actually a, a, an announcement that I uh, could make is that I, I got back on Facebook. Um, I had been off for several months. But uh, because of, of this incident with uh, Rick Kerber and his arrest, um, I felt like I needed a, uh, a way to communicate and to help him with the true narrative of what's happening to him. And, uh, and so I chose uh, to get back on Facebook, and, and I did that you know, strictly for him. Uh, uh, one thing about Rick uh, Kerber, if you don't know, um, he has been in the process of being prosecuted for uh, basically 10 years now, a decade. Uh, they've been trying to – the U.S. prosecutors have been trying to put him uh, away, and uh, there's a lot of detail uh, to his case. But uh, it's just another uh, case of injustice. And uh, Rick was very influential in, you know, helping in my defense and my family's defense uh, against the federal government. And uh, uh, and I felt very strongly uh, that uh, I needed to be a voice for him now that he's been incarcerated unjustly and uh, try to help people understand what's happening to him. So I'm back on Facebook, uh, which puts me into the ability to um, say something and then have a lot of responses. And uh, as you know, the reason I got off Facebook is because I voiced my opinion about, you know, immigrants, uh, how they're not all criminals, uh, how uh, also we have a duty as a people to uh, be uh, decent, to help people where we can. And uh, I got a huge amount of uh, hate and, uh, um, you know, I guess just uh, uh, negative feedback from my comments. And so I felt like it was time to get off Facebook. And I did. And I I actually enjoyed it and uh, would like to stay off it, but needed to be a voice. So... One of the uh, something that as of late that I had, had discussed and would like to discuss with you, uh, or are posted, I guess, on Facebook was this uh, idea of uh, nationalism um, uh, and kind of what it is, and also uh, what it brings, and uh, you know a little bit about. Uh, about you know nationalism, um, there's a lot of information out there. One that uh, I am reading is actually, or I have you know started reading, is called "Nationalism: um, A Religion," and it's an old uh, uh, book. Uh, 
uh, written, and uh, it basically breaks down this uh, idea of nationalism. And, uh, and he begins to, in this book that I have been reading, he begins to, after a whole lot of like, you know, identifying what true nationalism is, and, uh, and, you know, identifying it in history, and, you know, basically, uh, this idea that, uh, that when someone becomes loyal to something, you know, uh, and I'll give you an example. I've, I've got some boys who went to, uh, to uh, youth camp uh, this summer, and they broke them up into districts and zones and then districts. Well, when they got home, they had this kind of this open, like, testimonial meeting, and l literally about more than half of the boys that got up and, and kind of spoke about their experience at this camp, said, you know, I just want to make it clear that district number four is number one, you know, and then another one would say, you know, district number, you know, this and this is number one, uh, you know, and, and uh, another one would get up. In fact, there was uh, one, one young man in camp, he says, and by the way, district 15 is the best by far. And uh, then another one says, there was a lot of argument about what was the best district. And I thought it was annoying because there is only one argument. District number 16 is the best. And then literally another one got up and says, all that talk about the best districts, I had to get up and just say that district three was number one. And this is the kind of communication. And this is basically uh, the instinct that humans have that kind of explains or is nationalism. It's the idea that we become, you know, loyal to those in which we're grouped together and we have an experience together. And uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, language, uh, you know, the same type of language, the and, and of course, uh, a historical uh, uh, basically events that have happened that are uh, – that are the same historical events that people share. Uh, and they became kind of this, almost this clique, this, this uh, group. And, uh, and they begin to immediately, you know, cling to that and identify it as better than the others. And they go as far as uh, when it comes to a nation, as far as, uh, you know, willing to use force to defend it and uh, basically, you know, deny others' rights in, in, in the basically identification of it uh, and in the, and the enforcement of it. And uh, how, how our idea about uh, what, what we think is nationalism or, you know, uh, even a, how should I say it, um, the idea of national pride uh, to most to a lot of people, we think that that's good, or they think that that's good. Um, and but in reality, there's a a, a a negative effect. It is very negative, and it's very uh, you know unchristian, I should say. Um, in fact. Uh, nationalism by fact is replacing Christianity as a religion and it's replacing it along with uh, socialism and environmentalism. We've talked about those in the past, but each of these isms diminishes the influence of basically the teachings of what, uh, of 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. It also uh, helps to break down uh, the family and the church and the local community and to erode that. And, and what is replaced with that is the spirit of nationalism. And as individuals replace the teaching and power and faith in God and the unity of their family and the local community, and they replace that with the teachings and the power of the nation or the state, and basically this conformity of people uh, all over a certain boundary, then the people's uh, loyalty becomes, uh, and literally their religion and their God becomes the, the state or the nation. And so this replacement of, you know, God and family uh, and, uh, you know, the unity that you have uh, basically is, is what this nationalism becomes. It's not just a uh, idea of, you know, a nation and uh, one nation under God and and protecting that. That's not what it is. And one of the things about this uh, book that I'm reading is uh, he identifies, I'm going to try to get it, get it here, because he identifies, uh, identifies how um, interesting it is that even though he's from New York, he identifies that he's from New York. He's, he identifies that, you know, he knows the people in his community. He knows the area. But yet under nationalism, he's expected to have that same loyalty and that same uh, basically uh, relationship with those in his local community as he does with people in Texas or Utah or Arizona. And then at the very same moment that he's, he's, you know, basically expected to have those loyalties and relationships and, and uh, the same feelings about people in Utah that he doesn't know, at the same time, he's not supposed to have the same feelings about people in Mexico or Canada. And he identifies how that is a conflict uh, to, to mankind and how this... Nationality idea is actually not truly what is instinctive of man. Now we'll have a break here and come back in a few minutes. back here on the Liberty uh, Effect. Um, thank you for being here, coming all the way back after those uh, messages. Uh, just a reminder that we're here uh, every week uh, on Thursday between 1 and 2. And also you can download this uh, show on SoundCloud. Just go to SoundCloud, uh, go to the uh, search and Type in the Liberty Effect and you can go to the date and you can download it, share it, and I encourage you to do that. Uh, we have been talking about nationalism and uh, basically how nationalism uh, basically integrates into a society and can become destructive. Um, and, uh, and literally what it is, uh, there is a fact of, of humans and that is that humans have this – 
natural desire uh, to basically uh, be part of something, uh, to become loyal to something, and that is a good thing. That is a, gr a great thing. Uh, but but what happens uh, on a national level is that they take this desire, this loyalty, this strength of that a human has, and they begin to uh, try to expand it so that uh, one becomes uh, loyal to, you know, a nation and national leaders. Uh, rather than loyal to, you know, their family, their local church, their local community. And that now, you know, through an educational process uh, that that we actually see in our in our society, that we are become uh, basically indoctrinated uh, to be, to believe and understand that we are to spread this uh you know, this strength, this emotion of family and church and humanity and, and the local people, we're supposed to spread this throughout uh, this certain boundary and border. And uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting thing. Uh, and it's, it's done through education. Um, and it's not, it's not something that is uh, naturally done, uh, but it is, it is basically takes a lot of effort through education to expand this uh, human uh, character, this human strength to accept an, it on a national level. Now, why some people, some of you might be saying, well, you know, why is that dangerous? Well, one is because it replaces what is so important, including true religion, uh, Christianity. Christianity. It is a fact that as the as the nationalism increases, as this national pride, if you will, increases and expands among a certain group of people, that true Christianity, going to church and all of that, decreases. That the family uh, and and its values and strength decreases and and also that the local communities the local governments the you know the counties and all that that their power and influence decreases and it what it what it does is it allows that this power to be held on a national level where people will not turn and check and balance, you know, national leaders, national law enforcement, national armies, and and basically it, it allows the consolidation of power to be held on a national level where it doesn't belong and where it's most dangerous and where it can be overtaken and overcome. Uh, one of the uh, conversations that I had uh, through the comments on one of the posts was a man gave an order in which he believed was priority. And he said, God, country, and then family. And I had to correct him. Uh, I did the best I could to not, you know, offend him too badly. And I don't know if I did or not, but I've been pretty good at offending people lately. So um, anyway, but I, you know, corrected that the best I could and is very, with very with as much clarity as I can because country does not go in front of family and it does not go in front of man absolutely not it is god man 
family, and then country. And need I remind anybody about uh, the Declaration of Independence? Uh, what does it say? What does the Declaration of Independence say? I'm going to pull my Constitution right out of my pocket here, and I'm going to go to the Declaration of Independence. I'm going to read you a couple chapters here. And then you want to see if the founders believed whether country and government and a nation was in front of man. Let me read. We hold these truths. This is after, this is the second chapter, right? After they declared that, uh, that men are entitled, uh, that there's laws by, by God and, uh, and, and it goes on. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, okay, to do what? That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That when any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new governments, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such a form as they shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Now that is not country, nation first. That is man first. That is God giving man rights and man organizing his fellow man in the defense of that for the protection of his rights. And I would say for the protection of his family unity unit. And that is clear. And this, this nationalism idea, this nationalism religion is basically that idea that the nation is above mankind that the nation is above the family and that the nation is above the individual, forgetting that the whole reason why the nation was established, why the, the Star Spangled Banner means anything, why the flag flying means anything, is because of the individual freedom. And without protecting of the one, you have the protection of none. And nationalism in the sense of it be, you know, replacing uh, God and replacing the, uh, man's freedom in the name of a nation, in the name of, 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 of basically uh, a group of people that you have united, or as the, those boys going to their camp in the name of District 15 or District 16, you know, uh, Forgetting what the whole purpose is about, uh, that is the negativity. That is why nationalism is dangerous. And it is certainly has becoming a religion. Now, there's lots of other religions as well. Um, you know, even things like uh, the NFL, it certainly, <laughs> you know, has the aspects of a religion. Now, don't get me too far, too wrong, because I love watch, to watch a good football game. In fact, I love to root for a, uh, you know, a team. Uh, I served my mission in Minnesota, and I love to watch the Vikings play. 
And so don't get me wrong, but when we take it so far as that we are willing to punch our neighbor uh, because they're wearing another uniform or because they say, go uh, Broncos, you know, then that's when it's too far. So uh, I've got to take a break here. Uh, we'll come back and talk about this in just a few. effect we're trying to uh, do our best to identify uh, this uh, idea of nationalism what it is um, the dangers of it uh, and uh, and a little bit about how it it may be in your blood it may be in my blood uh, and to be honest with you how dangerous it is um, this replacement of God um, if you will, uh, in the in the idea of the justification of of you know national pride is uh, again dangerous for many many reasons and in fact if you go to the Old Testament you know that uh, we the Israelites had a nation right um, and they had lots of struggles uh, lots of battles they had kings uh, you know and ultimately they were. Uh, overtaken by another uh, nation or people. And uh, as we look at the digression of the nation of Israel, we learn a lot of things, especially from the very beginning. Because this replacement of God is what Samuel, who was the prophet at the time, uh, lamented about when the people of ancient Israel turned from God and wanted a king. Now, it it is very interesting because when you go to that account in first Samuel uh, chapter eight, you read there that, you know, the people got together and they said, we want to be like all other nations. Uh, we want to have a king. We want to be judged by a king. We want a king to lead us into war. We want, uh, you know, all those things that these other nations have. Uh and of course, Samuel was uh, the scriptures say was displeased, uh, but they but but they wanted a king, and so it's interesting what the Lord said. The Lord said unto Samuel, and I'm reading uh, verse seven of First Samuel eight. He said, "Hearken unto the voice of the people in that they in that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee." And he's talking to Samuel, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. So it's very clear who was their king at that time. It was God. God was their king. He was communicating to them through a prophet. And they had done amazing things up to that time, including take back 
you know, the land of, of Israel, their heritage. They had won battles that were unbelievable. They had marched around Jericho and the walls had fallen and they had became a mighty nation. And who was their king? It was God. God was their king. But now that wasn't good enough. They wanted to be like all the other nations. They wanted to have, you know, national pride. They wanted a king. And uh, God identified it very clearly that they're not rejecting Samuel, who was the prophet. They're rejecting him. And they didn't want him to reign over them. And he goes on. He says, according to all the works what they have done since that day that I brought them out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. He goes on now, therefore hearken unto the voice. So basically, give them what they want. How be it? Yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. So he's saying to Samuel, give them what they want, but make sure you tell them and warn them what, is, what a king is going to bring them. So Samuel told all the, Lord, the Lord's words unto the people, and this is what he says. He says, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself. Sound familiar? For his chariots and be his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands, captains over fifties, and will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of chariots. Sound familiar? And he will take your daughters and be to be confectioneries uh, and be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. Sound familiar? I know it sounds familiar to the Bundy Ranch. And he will take the tenth of your seeds and of your vineyards and give his office, give to his officers and his servants. Sound familiar? Although I wish it was only a tenth. You know, now we're looking at 40% for most. And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliness, young men, and your asses and put them to his work. And he will take the tenth of your sheep and he will, and ye shall be his servants. And ye shall cry out in the day because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Right? So the people said, we don't care, Samuel. We still want a king. We want him to rule over us. And so that's what happened at that point. Uh, the Israel was no longer had God reign over them. They had a king. Now, he continued to guide, do the best he could with them. But there was an absolutely shift and change in the in the nation, the ancient Israel. And I'm telling you today that that same shift and change is happening in our country right now. We are shifting and changing and turning away from God, who for the past, uh, from the inception of this nation, was inspired and, and, and reigned by God. And now we have evolved into basically a kingship, a kingdom where we're ruled by a king. And I would have to say that, you know, Obama was, was not a very nice king, at least to me and my family. And Trump, he's a pretty nice king. 
but he's still a king. Our lands are still being taken. We're still being taxed to death. We're still, you know, uh, we're still basically looking to the nation as, as, our, as our, our savior and our protector. We're still afraid of everything. Oh, let's put up a wall because we're afraid. We're afraid. We're afraid. That'll get me in trouble. Uh, but, I mean, that's what we have become because we have replaced God who is the protector and the builder of nations with man, a king, and a, and a nation in, its, in itself. We protect them, and that is nationalism. Now, I, I have a story to tell. Hopefully I can get through it before the break. I might have to, uh, I might have to uh, break it up. But I have a friend, or I haven't seen him for a long, long time, but he's a family friend. And he was about as good as, well, he, he is, I shouldn't say was, but he's a good man. But when he was first married, he had uh, a child and that child got sick and kept getting sick and sicker until the point where uh, the doctors couldn't do anything anymore. And it looked as if, uh, he was going to lose his little daughter. And he prayed and prayed and pleaded with God to save his daughter, to save his life, to preserve her life. And and the Lord decided that he was going to take her home to him. And uh, she passed away. And it was devastating to him and devastating to his wife. And what happened was very interesting, and this, this is the point. He began to question his faith in God after that. He felt like his answer wasn't, his prayer was not answered. And he turned away from God. He began to basically not believe in the things that he used to believe in. Now, that is a sad thing in itself, but what happened because he stopped believing in God was very interesting, and that is, is he went from this independent, freedom-loving individual who wanted to stand up for freedom and would have been at the Bundy Ranch to a person who literally felt that it was important that we increase the size of government, increase law enforcement, increase our military, and basically taxes and everything. Because he believed that there was no God, and therefore the only protection of the innocent and protection of basically people was government. And therefore, he literally took a 180-degree turn and now is an advocate for government growth, for larger law enforcement officers, for larger armies, because he no longer believed that God would protect him and could protect him. But I come here, I'm telling you today that I personally and my family have seen God protect us in a way that is hard to explain, but I'm going to do my best after this break.
is Ahmed Bundy, and uh, you're listening to The Liberty Effect. This is our last segment, and I want to thank you for being here, and thank you for considering uh, what I have to say, um, even if you don't agree with it, to consider it. We have been talking about the effects of nationalism and what it brings. I just uh, was telling a story before the break about a friend of mine who is a close friend, actually, um, who lost his daughter. And after praying and giving his whole heart and soul, asking God to please protect his daughter, and, and she died anyway. And how that changed him uh, from believing uh, in God and God's ability to protect and uh, to transferring that to believing that the only logical thing was that the nation, the government would protect. Uh, and so my point being not get into the details and not talking about the sorrow and the sadness that uh, they must have, have experienced, they definitely experienced, and not trying to in any way be negative to him, but pointing out the very fact that as a belief and, and knowledge and faith in God decreases or diminishes, it is replaced because man does instinctively believe and know and understand that there is a need to be protected against evil, against wickedness, right? And if he believes that or doesn't believe that God is there and able to protect, then he has to go to something that he feels is powerful enough to. And that, the only thing that could even be looked at as something powerful enough to protect in that kind of manner is government. And uh, I, you know, would like to testify that I personally and my family have seen the protection that God only can offer to man uh, under the most dire situations facing, uh, you know, facing off against literally the most powerful entities ever known to man. And literally in their grasp, in their prison, in their dungeons, uh, in their concrete boxes, thinking with not seeing the sunlight for, 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 for months on end and uh, seeing God reach in and literally grab us out of there and take us out and make us free. And I, I know personally that there is really no protection that can be found on a national level or any kind of level of that, at that level or any level really that the protection ultimately comes from God. It, I mean, it, it absolutely does. And God will, you know, but we have, but you have to have faith and the opposite of faith is fear. And when you are filled with fear, you cannot have faith. And when you're filled with faith, you cannot, it chases out the fear. And so you're able to do things. And, and literally what we are seeing in this country is a lack of faith and therefore an increase of fear 
and therefore a desire to try to extinguish that fear through this national security, if you will, uh, through the increase of government. And it is a very real thing and something that is only explained through this idea and understanding of nationalism. So, uh, and it also explains uh, this, re, you know, replacing of loyalty, uh, how it has weakened us, how it has divided this, the people of this land. And so, it can, because as more people make nationalism their religion of choice, or, or others uh, make, you know, socialism or environmentalism their religion of choice, each trying to control the force of law in the basically the the furtherance of this their religion, then the effects of division and force and immorality are what we experience today. So in the very act of putting your nation first, we're actually diminishing the influence of God upon us. And Christ taught that no man can serve two masters. He will hold to the one and despise the other, he says. He also said that we cannot, if you are not one, you are not mine. You cannot be divided. A, a people divided against themselves will fall. Well, the unity has to be in the truth, in God, in faith in God. It cannot be in faith in the nation. And also, if you put all your faith and trust and power into, you know, the nation and the government and its body, then it is easily overtaken and taken advantage of by man. And this is actually the hopes, hopes that people will, you know, uh, turn away from, from God, turn away from Christ, that they'll turn away from their family, that they'll turn away from their church from their local communities, and that they'll put their faith and their power, their influence, their money, their hope, all in a national, at a national level. You know, so then there could be armies built up, and then they could do whatever they want. There could be law enforcement built up. They could do whatever they want with that. They can oppress man. They can take. They can steal. They can do all those things that they want. But it can't be done on a on a on a family level it can't be done on a on a church level or even a local government level it can't be done on that level it has to be brought up to a national level and that's why we see our our schools clear full of education of of you know the nation now i want to say something here or present something to you that whew, you're probably going to be mad at but i used to stand so proud and give the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. In fact, I was a student body president of Virgin Valley High School, and every morning I led the entire student body in the Pledge of Allegiance, either in an auditorium or over the intercom. But think about it, what it is saying. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. It goes on to say, one nation under God. That is not true. That is not true. We are 50 nations. They're called states. They're sovereign and independent. And their whole purpose is to protect the freedom of the individual. That's what they were created for. They were created to protect freedom and liberty. And there's 50 of them. 
they were divided and separated for a reason. They're united for a reason, but they are not. They are not one nation. Indivisible, it goes on. I personally, after great study and understanding and pondering, do not agree with the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, don't get me wrong. Our flag stands for something and needs respect. The red, the white, and the blue represents great things, great sacrifices. That's what it represents, great sacrifices of individuals and families and even of God. But I don't pledge allegiance to it. I pledge allegiance to God, our eternal Father, to His Son, Jesus Christ. That's who I pledge allegiance to. And they're the ones that raise up nations, and they're the ones that can destroy nations. And we have seen that many times in history. And to put any nation over God, over man, in which God created, to uh, or a family, and to say that at any time a nation is justified, a people are justified for the sake of a nation, to say that at any time is wickedness. And it's the same justification that Hitler used, that Stalin used, that so many others used. It is the destruction of mankind and i warn you warn you of nationalism and i encourage you to study it to learn about it and to not replace it with god our eternal father and his son jesus christ and his teachings and i leave that with you and thank you again for your time until next time here on the liberty effect <music>